All right, Amber, what are you drinking today? Well, Amanda, I'm on day 30 of no drinking. So I Is have... 30? Crap, yes, I thought we looked it up. I thought Hold we on. counted it and it was 35 yesterday. Hold on. Hold on. Standing by. Stand by. What's today? The 10th. 35. Day 36. I'm on day 36 of not drinking. So I have water with, um, I don't know what's mixed in it, some sugar free shit. That sounds amazing. It's watermelon flavored with electrolytes. Yeah, you need electrolytes for sure. That helps. I need a lot of things right now. <laughs> well, you know. Italy has been like the worst thing ever for me. <laughs> what are you drinking today, Amanda? Well, I went with an old standby today and I went peach vodka with a peach seltzer. You and your peaches. And seltzers. Like that song. Georgia peaches, peaches and seltzers. Peaches. Millions of peaches. Oh, millions. I love the dead presidents. They're pretty awesome. Peaches. I think it's just peaches is the song. Yeah. It's like peaches come from a can. Yeah. They were put there by a man. That one? Yes. Yeah. That's like my entire high school life all wrapped up into an album. I'll have to listen to the whole album. Yeah, they're pretty good. I jammed to them a lot. Anyway, welcome to this episode of Veterans Drinking Vodka. We believe that every veteran has a story to tell and we are here to tell them. We have found that being a service member was easy, but being a veteran can be very hard. In this episode, we are talking to Robert Walton. He served in the United States Army from 2007 to 2013 as infantry. I'm doing good. Thank you. Was it was it 11 Bravo? Yeah, it's 11 Bravo. Yes. <laughs> good job, Amanda. We're learning. That's like the only army number I know. That's the only army number you need to know because that's the only most important one to actually know. <laughs> what are you drinking with us today? I'm actually not drinking anything because I've actually been on this healthy binge for like the last week of drinking Monat, which is all these green herbal healthy vitamins and minerals and stuff to actually help with like figures and stuff like that, where it changes your entire metabolism and stuff like that to be healthy because of due to my job, it's very physical and I like to have lots of energy. I don't like to ha- be like a downer or anything. So, and I'm already naturally full of just natural energy as it is. So it kind of helps out. Does it, Does make, it make your face look like a freak show? It, do- <laughs> it, it doesn't make your face look like that. Thank God, because I don't know what I would do. Uh, consider that I'm usually on social media. I, I, it's kind of like my moneymaker right there. So I can't do anything yeah. with that. Thank God this is a podcast. <laughs> right? <laughs> For now, until YouTube sees it. I know. By then, I, I won't care. You'll be over it. I'll For be sure. back to drinking. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Robert, where are you from? And can you tell us a little bit about how your story started? All right. So I live in Dallas-Fort Worth, more specifically Denton, Texas. It's actually one of the ninth largest counties in the state of Texas. Um, I've been living here for about two years. Just recently left uh, Denton County Sheriff's Department. Uh, worked in the jail for a while. And then before that, I actually worked for the state as a correction officer. I've worked all the way from death row prisons. 
So it, it's, it's, it's definitely uh, mentally like you have, you have to be mentally prepared to go into a field like that. It's not made for everybody. I've seen lots of people come in and leave right away. Obviously, considering my background of former military definitely helped out being infantry and stuff like that. You know, being deployed twice, once to Iraq in 2008 to nine, and then Afghanistan from 10 to 11 definitely helped out a lot with that. And I have a whole bunch of other stuff that I used to do in the past in Hollywood, California as a executive protection agent, which is a fancy word for bodyguard for celebrities. So I've, I've done a little bit of everything. You know, I'm a kind of a jack of all trades kind of guy. Done a little bit of everything. Worked in the medical field as well. At orthopedic surgeon's office for about two years in San Diego, California. And then bank corrections, security, um, transport agents, and stuff like that, too. So you've done all kinds of things since you got out of the service. No, I feel like yeah. our <laughs> interview isn't going to be able to cover stuff that is important. <laughs> right, Robert, where did you grow up? So I'm originally born and raised in Long Beach, California. Ooh, um, I've actually like lived Snoop all over Dog the state Long of California. Beach or Cameron Diaz, Long Beach? Like, like uh, Snoop Dogg actually went to the same high school that Snoop Dogg actually went to Poly High and stuff like that, which is probably That's the coolest cool. thing I could actually brag about, <laughs> you know? So That's yeah. why you joined the army and then went on to be like a bodyguard because you grew up in that rough neighborhood. It, exactly. You know, I was already in that mentality of just like, you know what, I'm, I'm already like a badass as it is growing up and where Snoop Dogg was. I think I'm a badass. Let's just keep that ball rolling. <laughs> I accidentally ended up at a party out there one time. I, I think a lot of people do. <laughs> yeah. It was quite the experience. Speaking of joining the army, what made you decide to join the army and why did you decide to go infantry? So funny story before I even wanted to go to the army, I actually wanted to become a Navy SEAL. But at the time I was 17 already thinking about, Hey, you know what? I've always wanted to be in the Navy. I wanted to be a, a torpedoes mate. I was like, that's what I always wanted to do. So I go to the Navy recruiters. Hey, this is what I want to do. They're like, well, I'm sorry. You can't do that. I'm like, okay, well, you know what? I want to be a SEAL. They're like, well, nobody comes in and asks to be a SEAL. I'm like, well, I do. They're like, well, how old are you? They're like, you're too young. You won't, you won't be of age once you graduate. Buds. I was like, well, you know what? Well, screw you guys. But right next door to the army. I was like, what do you guys got? And they showed me this cool video of like, you know, guys kicking in doors and, you know, all these rocket launch AT4s and stuff like that. I was like, I want to do that. That's the job I want to do. I can totally do that. Ended up doing that. Got in. Not what I did. <laughs> Except for obviously on deployments. So it's kind of like a bittersweet thing. I mean, I loved it. I, I miss the, the brotherhood, obviously. It mostly, at that time, it was male dominant. I've actually had a few interactions with the first females that actually ever go through OSET. And I'm still very close friends with them. And it's just amazing of how much the the military in itself has transitioned to allow females into combat arms MOSs that was very male dominant. And I love that, that they they're able to, you know, allow women to do that if they feel like they could do it. Yeah. It's really cool how the female subgroup of the military is starting to be more active in some of those. I don't know if I want to call them harsher or like more like hardcore kind of tough roles and they're, they're handling it with grace and it's pretty cool. Exactly. Exactly. I agree. So during your time in the army, did you have more than one duty station? What were they? And did you have a favorite one? Okay. So I was stationed at Fort Campbell, Kentucky with 101st Screaming Eagles, also known as Screaming Chickens. My brother was 101st Airborne. <laughs> so so yeah. I was stationed there, uh, Got had my first deployment within the first seven months of being stationed there. 
Um, went to Baghdad, Iraq, was there. Uh, that's when I initially first had got blown up within three months of being in country. Um, I worked at Baghdad International Airport when that actually happened. And then I came back and then got orders to go to Fort Drum. I said, I'm a Cali boy. I'm going to freeze my ass off. I am not going to Fort Drum, New York. Put me on reassignment. They put me on reassignment. And with the military, it's like an imaginary wheel. You might get it again. Luckily for me, in my case, I got Oahu. I got Hawaii, 25th ID, Tropical Lightning. And that was probably obviously, of course, the best duty station I've ever had. The struggle is real. (laughs) Yeah. Like you gave up New York to spin the wheel and you landed in Hawaii? I did, you know, with rainbows and dolphins. Sunshine and rainbows all day in the army in Hawaii. Oh, definitely. I'd give that up for for blizzards and stuff like that. I'm, I'm okay with that. Yeah, I would say that I would be quite okay with that as well. And then Hawaii was your favorite one? Hawaii was definitely by far my most favorite freaking duty station I've ever had. Awesome. So have you spent any time on the East Coast? I lived on the East Coast, never was stationed there, uh, but I have lived there. I lived in South Carolina, Myrtle Beach, actually on the beach. Um, It's funny, you know, obviously coming from Long Beach, which is the West Coast, all the way to South Carolina on the East Coast and going from one beach to another, you know. And now, of course, I ended up in Texas. How that happened, I don't know. (laughs) We all end up in Texas eventually. Yeah, exactly. So which coast did you prefer? I think I know the answer, but we want to hear it from you. Um, Everybody obviously wants to say Hawaii, but I liked Fort Campbell because not not so much of, you know, it being 100 first, yes, that's a big thing. And it's like one of the oldest, you know, units in Army history and stuff like that. And then just knowing the whole history behind of how they got the airborne tab and how they've tra- they transitioned back World War II to then air assault and stuff like that. It was a big thing, you know, and then also, I mean, 25th ID in Hawaii is just another great unit to be a part of as well. And another old unit too. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're in Texas now, so you're right in the Mm -hmm. middle, but if you had to choose to live either on the West coast or the East coast, which one would you choose? I would pick the East coast. Really? Definitely. Oh yes. That's interesting. Wow. East coast. I would. Is there a reason? East coast to me, because on the East Coast, to me, they have more Southern hospitality than on the West Coast. And I'm not even, you know, I'm talking about the whole politics side of view of it. I'm just talking about, like, in general, the upbringings and stuff like that. Just the people. I feel that, yeah, the people and stuff, it's it just a lot more respectful. Obviously, the cost of living is a lot different. It's a lot cheaper than the West Coast is, too. So, all right, I, like, I, I prefer that. Well, cheers to having some solid reasons for the East Coast. Exactly. I like the East Coast beaches better. Oh, I 100% agree on that statement. Way They're way cleaner and Water's stuff like that and well-kept. Yeah. Exactly. All right, Robert. So during your time in the military, do you have a great active duty act? I couldn't talk yesterday either. I don't know what's <laughs> going on. Do you have a great active duty story that you can tell us today? I well, I have a few, of course, but I'll narrow it down to like probably just one specific one. So actually goes back to when I just finished like boot camp and stuff like that, flying straight into Nashville, Tennessee, about you know, waiting there for your your sergeants to come pick you up to go and process you there at the at your first duty station. Um, it's probably the most humbling experience I've ever had. 
And it kind of makes you feel kind of like almost like a movie star in a way, or you know, somebody really important. And I had this family approach me with a newborn and I'm sitting there waiting with a whole bunch of other people, but for whatever reason they approached me and they're like, Hey, we'd really appreciate if you held our baby and we took a picture with you holding our baby in your arms. Now, obviously comes off a little kind of weird. You feel uncomfortable. You're just like, I'm confused. Like what's going on? You know what I mean? And they're like, no, the reason behind it is because you guys do so much that we just want to show, you know, I, I don't even remember if it was daughter or son, but they're like, we want to show them like this is somebody that is out there fighting to provide for us and sacrificing everything, you know, so we can be here at home. And I, it was a very humbling experience. And, and that was probably the best thing that's probably ever happened amongst other things in my career. Just a Did little weird knowing that I'm probably on somebody's mantle place in their house, though. <laughs> I was wondering, they did, y'all didn't share, like, exchange any type of information? Because it'd be kind of nope. cool. They didn't. You're going to with... get a TikTok message one day, like, hey, <laughs> my parents have a picture of you holding me. I'm the baby. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, right? That would, and then you have to awesome. take another picture and then do, like, a like a side-by-side or something oh yeah definitely or like reenact uh, I'll, 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 I'll try to reenact it you know yeah <laughs> like let me hold this adult that I held as a baby to reenact this photo <laughs> exactly oh my goodness yeah let that us know if you ever get that email or that yes message I'm hear another. you've lived a fascinating life you can tell us another story <laughs> oh yeah all right so I have a story when I was actually as an executive protection agent aka bodyguard I worked for one of the most wealthiest guys actually in Beverly Hills, California. He actually owns most of the real estate for where most of the actors actually lived in the gated community. Um, and he owns most of the stores on Rodeo Drive as well. He actually, one time, I uh, was running late for work and it was because I was almost running out of gas. He actually drove down to where I was at because I was actually still living in San Diego, California at the time. And I was still making that commute. Obviously, it was worth it. Otherwise, I wouldn't be traveling that far. Right. But he was like, you know what? You you sacrificed so much to come up here and to like protect me. He's like, you know what? I'm going to give you a gas card. Gave me a gas card to where I could use it anytime I wanted, regardless if I was on the clock or off the clock, to where I would never be out of gas and stuff like that. And I was and, and people like that. People think, you know, all these rich people, they, they don't have hearts. They, they really do, but people are seeing them for the outer image of who they are and stuff like that and not what they have on the inside. That's why I always tell people, you could be so gorgeous on the outside, but it doesn't mean that anything inside is that, that beautiful. It could be the most nastiest thing inside. Yeah. Cheers That's to so that. True. Yeah, cheers. Very true. So... Robert, eventually, though, you do have to get out of the service and mm -hmm. you do have to make that transition from badass service member to badass veteran. How was your mm -hmm. transition? So in the beginning, everybody's like, yes, can't wait to get out. Can't wait to get out. Super excited. You get to, you know, grow your beard out, do whatever. And to be completely honest. It took me a good two years, I would say, to actually really stop losing that uptightness of like always being on the go, 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 go. 
and just settling down and being like, I can breathe. Like, I don't have somebody always telling me what to do, where to go. Now it's all on me, which is kind of a culture shock in itself too, because you're so used to that. And now you're just like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do now. Like what am I, I'm, I'm not even prepared for this. Like, I, I don't know what career I want to do now. Uh, what kind of job I'm going to get? Am I going to go to college? Like, where am I going to live? Like, I have no idea because the military has everything mapped out for you and planned for you, what you're going to do with your life. Absolutely. And in order to do, make that transition, it's, you're not ready for it. And, you know, and everybody can say that they are, but you're really not until you actually get out and you're just like, wow, I'm out, but it still doesn't feel so real. And that's why it takes a, a, a while to actually make that transition and stuff like that. I agree 100% that, and, and a lot of the veterans that we've talked to have the same problem with, well, what do you do when you have nobody telling you what to do? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> How do you and separate yourself from the uniform? And yeah, exactly. Because that's yeah. been your identity for so many years. Yep. And that's a very hard thing to do. Obviously, there's a lots of things in your life from that, from the moment you ever join to the moment you get out, will never be the same. And you will always still do things a certain specific way because that's what you were molded to do. Like with waking up, making your bed, yeah. do, do, you know, doing certain things that you didn't realize because you're so used to it. It's like, you're almost like a robot in a sense, but you weren't. But when you go get out and then you look back at it, you're like, you know what? I kind of was one, you know? So it opens your eyes up a lot though, too. Right. Right. So you've actually left all aspects of law enforcement at this time after, cause you got out, you went into law enforcement. Like you told us earlier, you did like corrections, you did police officer work, you did bodyguard work. And did that line of work, was that something that you felt was your comfort zone because you were in the infantry in the army? So I kind of started doing, you know, researching, you know, go straight to Google because Google has all the answers, right? That's right? what everybody Google does. knows. Everything. So going to Google, Google, hey, what's the close, what can that former infantryman do? And of course, most of the things that pull up, law enforcement, bodyguard work, security, stuff like that. Anything that's, that has to do with protection, because that's really what you're doing in the infantry world. So that's what made me get into it. That's why I went back to, co- I went to college got a criminal justice degree, graduated with honors, ended up having some buddies, obviously, that I've gotten out way before me that were like, hey, I know this guy that can help you get a job doing uh, bodyguard work. Well, I don't know what that really is. Let me look that up on Google. All right. Okay. Hey, that sounds pretty cool. That sounds pretty much what I used to do, but it's going to obviously be a lot different being a civilian now. You know, now let me let me talk to him. Let me see what it's about. Is it something I really want to get into? Can I see myself really doing that? Am I going to actually do a good job though? You know, cause I know there's probably other guys that have the same background as me, probably even a little bit better than me, you know? So you got a lot of competition too, but being a former infantry, you're all about competition. You're always wanting to better yourself though, too, at the end of the day. I think that's with it. Almost all the branches and all the rates in the military is you always want to be strive to be the best like the rating system and the evaluation system is designed for you to continually strive to be the best at what you can do which is why we're so competitive with each other even 
in the civilian world, when you meet a veteran without even meaning to, you're still competitive with them in different aspects of different things, because that's what we're kind of conditioned to do. And a lot of civilians are like, whoa, what is happening right now? Like, why are you so abrasive? And you're like, I haven't even gotten started. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And they're like, slow down. Like, you don't have to be so like direct or you don't have to be so like, I've really struggled with that aspect of it with not being so what's the word I'm looking maybe blunt, abrasive. Yeah. Words, Mm -hmm. which when I worked for the railroad was okay because everyone was a little rough and abrasive and I was still a female in a male dominated industry. But when I left the railroad and I went to work for a law office, they were like, pump the brakes, Amanda, you're being a little (laughs) bit brutal. And I'm like, I haven't even started yet. Like, you know, I'm being nice. Like, this is my nice face. I don't know what to tell them, like do their job. (laughs) And if they don't Mm -hmm. do their job, fix what they messed up. But it's definitely something that if we don't go into a job that allows for that when we first get out, that a lot of us kind of struggle with. And sometimes it catches up with you later. And so I know a lot of veterans struggle with that too, where you, like you did, you went into law enforcement security type roles where you can still be abrasive and you can still be kind of harsh in your job duties. So it kind of continued on for the military and then you get out of that and then you're like, whoa, now everything's starting to hit because now I'm not in an industry that's like that anymore. Or at least that's what happened in my personal experience where I went from the military to a railroad job where those guys are rough too. So you fit right in because you're leaving a rough military life and you're going into a rough railroad life. And then I left the railroad life and then I was like, I don't know if I can handle this world. Like, this is a little bit weird and it's, it's something that I was like, but I've been out for nine years. Like, why do I feel this way? Like I've been out for several years. Like I shouldn't have these kind of emotions. I should have already gone through the transition and dealt with that stuff when really it didn't hit until I was leaving that secondary harsh career. And So it's important for veterans to know that like, that's okay too. Like that's okay for you to get that rush of, I guess, emotional turmoil or whatever emotions you're having at that time Mm -hmm. that you should have had when you first got out, but because you left and went into another environment that was similar, you really, it really didn't catch up with you until later. And that's okay too. Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent agree. But yeah, it's something, something we all go through, I suppose. All right, so how are you doing now? We've talked a little bit about you leaving law enforcement and obviously you have an infantry background. So how are you doing today? So just like any other veteran, I don't even want to specifically like point towards like veteran, like, you know, being infantry, but obviously it goes more so because of the things we do and the things we see downrange that's another thing that you have to you know come to terms with once you're out you don't have somebody that you can just hey let me go like right next door and go talk to that person you know because i know exactly they they've seen and done the things i've did because they're not your neighbor might just be joe smo from the deli and that's all he's done his entire life so you can't just go over there and be like hey 
can I talk to you about the things that we just did like a year or two ago downrange, you know what I mean? And vent to somebody about it. So right. like the whole PTS, like having PTSD aspect and stuff, that's something I finally had to come to terms with too. And I had to kind of learn the hard way um, because I had kind of like a really bad episode of when it hit me. And when I actually just had that one episode, that's all it took for me to finally come to terms with, you know what? I need help. I need to go talk to somebody. Like I need to get a lot of things off my chest because you just bottle them up and you don't want to talk about it. Right. You know, you just want to, you, cause you've been molded to be this tough person and just bury your feelings down and just move on. But that's not the case. You need to actually uh, not obviously deal with it when it happens, but you do need to finally at a point in your life, you need to address the situation of what just happened and then, you know, move on from it, you know, but it's, you're still never going to forget it, you know, Mm-mm. but at the, I mean, at this point in my life, you know, I've, I've, I still deal with it on a daily. It's not as bad as it used to be because of that, of me getting the help and stuff and reconnecting with a lot of battle buddies that I used to serve with and stuff like that and finding on social media, them finding me. And us just reconnecting and stuff. And it's it's nice to finally just talk about it, you know, because I'm not I used to be afraid to talk about, you know, some of the things that I used to do. Obviously, there's things that we still keep to ourselves that we're not supposed to ever talk about to anybody, exactly. you know. But in other aspects, you know, I do, you know, talk about certain things and I do tell my story of like, you know, certain things I've done over there and stuff like that. So people can actually gain a perspective of what it's like. And what I struggle with on a daily. Absolutely. What has been the most helpful thing for you to be able to deal with PTSD and mental health stuff? The biggest thing, actually, honestly, is a lot of the people I work with is of them having family members or cousins and stuff like that struggling with those same things. And then we finally reconnect and their family member might've been stationed somewhere like where I was stationed, which has happened before and reconnecting that aspect or them being like, you know what? Hey, my significant other was in the military. They struggled with it. Um, let me help you now. Cause I know how to, how to, how to address the situation. I won't judge you on it. I won't even look at you different. Just know that whatever you tell me in confidence won't, won't even go past this and stuff. And that, that, that makes us feel really good. I know it made me feel really good knowing that, that I can finally trust somebody with telling them things and not them just looking at me different, being like, wow, like you did that. Like I don't see you as the same person. And they just totally like, don't, don't, it it makes me feel like bad. I'm just like, oh man, like I shouldn't have said anything now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a delicate balance on who, when you're in a personal setting, who you can really tell your story to and who you really have to like sugarcoat your story to. Because you meet those people that are like, oh, I can handle it. Like, tell me your story. And then you do. Mm -hmm. And then they're like, yeah, you're a psychopath. And you're like, no, I just did what I had to do. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then you're like, okay, I shouldn't have told you that, even though you said you could handle it, but clearly you couldn't. Yeah. And so it's such a gray area and such a fine line that we walk as veterans to know who we can really open up to and like talk to or who, even though they say they can handle it, they can't handle it. And that will, that adds a whole nother layer of complexity into 
our day-to-day struggles of post-military life. Exactly. And see that it even goes back to like, when even like, no, I want to know, okay, I'm going to tell you. And then once you tell them, they're like, okay, maybe I don't want to do it. And they're like, don't, and I always tell them, don't, don't get discouraged from it. Yeah. Everybody handles it differently. Mm-hmm. I was like, I've seen the most hardcore people join the military and break. I've seen, you know, you know, Joe Smith over here that was a nerd, you know, in school and succumb and pass everybody else. Yeah. And actually cope with everything a lot better than anybody else. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? So that's why we tell people, don't get discouraged. Don't. I was like, the military has so many benefits out of it. You know, now whether you take advantage of that, that comes down to you as a person. Right. But I, I hope you do. I hope you do take as, as much as you can out of it. And even when you're out of it, still try to take as much as you can out of it because you earned it. Whether yeah. you got discharged for whatever reason, medical or under a general honor, under honorable, you know, it doesn't matter. You, st- you still took that oath. You're still brave enough to take the oath and go serve and do those things that less than 1% of Americans actually can do. Yeah. I think that's one of the biggest struggles for veterans who aren't combat veterans or who didn't deploy. And they have to look at like, well, what did I even do type of thing? And we've talked about it before. I mean, I'm one of them. I never deployed. Um, So yeah, I'm a veteran and I've never not said that I wasn't, but I mean, what, what really was my military career other than helping helicopters fly around San Diego, California. I mean, that's what I did. Um, But to know, and, and through Amanda not doing this podcast to know that those same people that were in those helicopters or that were, that were flying around that I was talking to were training to deploy. So they had Mm -hmm. things that they were doing that I had to inadvertently help them get to that point. Exactly. And that's why I always tell people in the military, the, the, the people that you want to be the most friends with are your cooks and your supply, because without them, you wouldn't be able to do what you could do with supply. They supply everything that you need to have. You don't want to, you don't want to piss them off. Cooks, you need food, you need energy. You need to be able to complete the mission and stuff like that on a full stomach. You know, that's why I always say those are the top two people that never get recognized yet. They're the biggest ones that yes, we do, you know, we do bash on them a lot. But at the end of the day, just like we do with all the branches, we always say, hey, ours is better than yours. But at the end of the day, we're, you know, we'll back each other up, especially like if you have all four branches or five, we'll even say Coast Guard because a lot of them, we, we bag on them obviously the most. Right. But if all of us are at, in a bar and one guy gets jumped, you best believe all the rest of those guys are going to jump up and defend this guy, regardless yeah. of what he did, Absolutely. you know, as a job. And we... We've talked about that a little bit, but we haven't touched on it too much. But even though we rag on like the Coast Guard and even the National Guard, like they are so integral in our mission mm-hmm. because without them handling what we need to be handled at home, whether it be a natural disaster or some other kind of like terrorist situation that might happen at home or whatever, like they're mm-hmm. going to be the ones answering the call. That's what they train for. They train yeah. to protect us at home. And without them, we wouldn't be able to go overseas and do what we need to do overseas to protect our country. And mm-hmm. so 
we do rag on them a lot. We don't give them the credit due sometimes I feel because they are a very integral part of the entire system. And we have to count on them to take care of even our own families at home while we're overseas. And so that's like you said, like they're, they're just as important. And if anything ever happens to one of them and we're right there with them, like, we'll we'll be ragging on them at the bar, but let someone that wasn't military try to take a swing and they're, they're going to wish they didn't. Exactly. And see, and, and I know for me and a lot of other veterans that I've talked to, whether they served with me or not, that we took, we, we still to this day take that oath that we took very serious to where if anything was to happen, we'd be the first ones to be in line. Like, Hey, I want to go back yeah. regardless of what kind of discharge, once again, what kind of discharge we got. Hey, I want to go back. I made I made an oath to this nation that I will support it no matter what. Absolutely. And I stand very true to that, regardless of who the president is or whatever, because you also said that you're gonna, you know, obey all the orders of the officers appointed over me and stuff. So correct. To this day, I still very much so take that oath very to heart. Every day. Whether you're active duty or you're a veteran, that oath is what we live by. I think that's only like one of a few general orders that I remember. <laughs> I don't remember all of them. There's 10. I know. And I don't know all of them. I got them in my. I got my blue jackets manual. I have my blue jackets manual. I also have my OG boot camp book that I had to write those in over and over and over and over. Um, Number, I think number five was quit my post only when properly relieved. And that was always the easiest one to remember. So you always wanted to be the first one to answer when they came through and, <laughs> and quizzed you on them. But um, yeah. So Robert, if you had advice for either a service member getting ready to become a veteran or someone that's been struggling for a hot minute at being a veteran, what kind of advice would you give them? I would say don't be afraid to ask for help because, you know, there, there's over 22 suicides that happen today and stuff like that or a second or whatever it is. I don't even know the statistics now, but don't wait till it's too late. Go out there. And, and it's just like when you're growing up in class, the teachers always tell you there's no such thing as a stupid question, just stupid answers. So go out there and ask the question. Just ask it because you might be asking a question for a guy that's probably standing right there in line with you that might need that answer. And it's afraid to ask that same exact question of doing that transition from going from soldier to civilian and stuff like that, or whatever you're about to do in even a career field, you know, ask questions. I'm, I'm always one to always ask questions. I don't care what kind of question it is. I will, I'll even ask it. And I'll ask it even if I may, might possibly even know the answer because there might be somebody else that does not know that answer and it's going to give them that answer. So always go out there, ask the right questions, do your research too. Like I said, Dr. Google will, has most of the answers anyways, you know? So it's, it's the easiest thing out there to do. And there's so many resources and a lot of people don't take advantage of those resources. Google is such and, a phenomenal resource and it's not one that was around when I joined the service. Mm -hmm. And now it's like my go-to for everything. I'm like, I don't know, but my friend Google does. Let me <laughs> exactly. ask him real quick. <laughs> and yep. I even have the go Google home nest hub, whatever 
that thing is. So I talk to Oh, I have it too. I use it all the time. <laughs> all day. Like, like she's my best friend. <laughs> yeah. And she tells me jokes and stories and plays me music and sets my alarms and tells me what time it is and plays my yeah. podcasts. She's a pretty incredible resource all on her own. But yeah. So another thing I would, I would actually add to it though, is stay close to those ones that you served and stuff like that. And keep that connection because they, you're not going to stay in the military. You can't stay. Unfortunately, you can't stay in the military for life. You know, you get to that point where you need to get out or you're, you have to get out, you know, and they're going to have tons of questions. And if you already have all those answers, you could pretty much just hand them everything like on a silver plane, but like, here you go. This is what you need to do. You know, I'm, somebody helped me and now I'm about to help you and just keep that ball rolling. It's a snowball effect, you know, and you just want to keep it going and going and going. Absolutely. I know that that's exactly how I got the help I needed was by someone that knew what they were doing and held my hand through the process. And so now yeah. I try to do that for other <clears throat> veterans as well. Um, Robert, if anyone wanted to continue this conversation or if they had other questions for you or were interested in your service or what you did post-service or even what you're doing now, where can they find you? So obviously everything nowadays is all social media, you know, the TikTok, Twitter, Facebook, you know, Instagram, all that kind of stuff. So I'm on pretty much every single platform. I'm on, I'm on Facebook. You can find me by my name. Um, it might be private. So if you, you, the best way to find me is just go to messenger, type in my name, you'll find me there. Um, Instagram, it's actually tattered Walton 88. Um, my TikTok is exactly the same exact name, tattered Walton 88. Um, and all my DMs are always open and I'm always checking my messages and I actually reply every single day to messages that I actually get. So, or if, if you don't have any of those things and you want it and you're very old fashioned, you want to email, shoot me an email, you know, and, R -A -W -A. You'll get it. <laughs> and right. actually we could, we could actually do it to R A W A Walton one, one at gmail.com. Um, Perfect. I will put so. all that information into the show notes and I never thought there'd be a day when we would say that the old school way of contacting someone was through email, but here we are. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's a little eye opening on this uh, <laughs> evening, but very cool. Robert, thank you so much for your time today. We appreciate you telling your stories and, and sharing your insight. Amber, what do we have going on for a charity this season? All right. So for season two, of course, we're still going to continue to support till the hollow project. Um, their mission is super important to us as podcast hosts and as veterans. And we are going to support Greg C. Washington and the Walk to Honor mission that he has going on, which is to bring about mental health and suicide awareness in the veteran community, as well as civilians. Greg is also a veteran himself and through his organization is bringing about awareness to veteran suicide. Um, so we are going to, to support him. And if you need to learn about what he's got going on, you can go to his website. It is gregcwashington.com. And under his about section is a walk to honor. All right. Well, if you would like to contact Amber or myself for any further questions or for 
any reason at all, we can be found on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Veterans Drinking Vodka. You can also email us at veteransdrinkingvodka at gmail.com or check out our website, veteransdrinkingvodka.com. In case anyone was confused about who we are. Everything is Drinking Vodka. Like Amanda said, you can reach out to us pretty much anywhere. And we would love to hear from you if you're interested in being a guest on our podcast and telling your story. You can send us an email or a direct message. If you like our podcast, subscribe on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Google Podcasts, Amazon, or wherever you choose to listen to your podcasts. Also, leave us a review and let us know what you think. As always, the reason why Amanda and I started this podcast was to not only share veteran stories and to network with other veterans, but to bring about the fact that 22 veterans kill themselves every day and 22 is 22 too many. One is too many. And you are never alone. Veterans Drinking Podcast. Cheers.